Wizards after that, this time following a close Wizards win, which is a nice change of pace from the Wizards following a couple of really close losses, a one-point loss in Charlotte and an overtime loss in Minnesota over the weekend. They just beat the Kings 121 to 115. Bradley Beal at 13 in the fourth quarter. He finished with 27, 9, and 9 and was really facilitating everything, scoring all throughout that fourth. He was really, really good down the stretch. Wizards defense locked down over those final four or five minutes. Looked pretty in line. The Kings just kind of went cold, and the Wizards held down for a win. I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic. I'm the host of Wizards After Dark, and I'm here with, like, fourth, fifth time I guess number five. Number I think it's Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis, number five. five, right? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes. Congrats. You know my, uh, well, Chase Hughes. Next up is Sports Washington. Jr. Yes. So, yes, uh, Chase Hughes, NBC Sports Washington, fifth time. Twice in like three or four games. So. I know. Yeah. That's big. That's how you know it's becoming late in the season. Yeah. <laughs> I, my, like, huge blind spot is I, in, I just don't know players' numbers. I just don't know them. I feel like I knew them a lot better as a kid, um, but there's a guy in my office at NBC Sports Washington who has like a like Rain Man memory for for jerseys, and it doesn't even matter the sport. Like the NBA, like the jersey number is important because like the ref obviously gives like a hand signal for the foul. It's also important in football because like when there's a penalty, they have to say it. In baseball, it's not important at all. Like, mm-hmm. no one knows what jersey numbers are, but he can tell you, like, any jersey number. He just, like, happens to notice it and never forgets. Yeah. I I can tell you some late 90s Yankees. Yeah. I can tell you some iconic Yankees. <laughs> but that's it. And that's pretty much well, it. Well, don't you feel like you know jersey numbers from when you were a kid watching the NBA? No, honestly. I, like, it is my huge blind spot. There are, like, really famous many-time All-Stars that, like... Like great players. Gary Payton. I have no idea what no number. No, I really. Yeah, I had a Gary Payton jersey, so maybe that's why number twenty. Okay, yeah. See, like I, you can, I can't do it with current players. It is a huge blind spot, my knowledge, because it's irrelevant. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It just, I just don't bother to know it because it doesn't matter. And it's weird because I. What was Michael Jordan's number? Well, that twenty-three. That I know. <laughs> I, I remember numbers really well. Like we were literally sitting there watching the game tonight, and I just rattled off the Barry Bonds. Had a 609 yes. OBP and walked 232 times in 2004. Right. Like consequential numbers. By, by the way, that means I can I can use the line that I told you, which is I have more takes than Barry Bonds in the early 2000s. <laughs> Nailed Meaning it. like hot takes. <laughs> Nailed it. That was a good one. <laughs> uh, but yes, now I can confirm. Uh, Fred knew the uh, on-base percentage, right, and the number of walks that Barry Bonds had in like the 2004 season. 2004. Yeah. When he had 362 with 45 homers and like 300-something at-bats. Right. He was such a cheat code. He had a 609 on base percentage. His on base percentage that year would have been like the fifth or sixth best slugging percentage in the National League. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a 609 uh, on base percentage, that's like what the OPS is of like some like kind of legit starters. I mean, that's yeah. like a bad starter yeah. in baseball, but like there are guys who start 100 yeah. something games who have a 609 OPS that yeah, are catchers yeah. and are good defensively or something. Exactly. Like, uh,. Yeah, like in a random year where like Jose Molina started. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, good right. or like a good defensive shortstop or But jersey numbers you just can't do it, huh? No. I just I just don't bother knowing them. Like I know Bradley Beal's number three. And I could do very little of the rest of the roster. Yeah, I was gonna say, why don't we why don't we do this real quick? See let's see let's if you can name any other wizards jersey numbers. I, I'm not saying I, I would be great at this. Let's not because <laughs> because I really 
truly can't, can't and it's it. going to destroy <laughs> my credibility. And I, unlike Charles Barkley, am too embarrassed to play who he played for on my own show. <laughs> That's right. It is your show. Yeah, damn straight. David Letterman used to famously do that. Someone would like, ask him a question and be like, hey, it's my show. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I, I legit, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I just don't know. I just, there's no point. They don't matter. Really numbers, so. No, they don't yeah. matter at all. They matter to players. Yeah, they 100% matter to players. Right. But like from a knowledge of the game standpoint. You played high school baseball, right? Uh-huh. Did you know your jersey number? I changed my number every year. Really? Yep. <laughs> That's how meaningless it was. That's how meaningless like, it was. Screw this. I'm going to change it every single I year. I changed my number every year. I was 23 freshman year. I was... Uh, then I was 21, then I was something else, and I was 14 my senior year. I feel like that's a super hipster thing to do is change your number every year. You know, it wasn't intentional. It was because everybody else cared so much about numbers, and I was like, I'll just, you know, like high school baseball, it's like yeah. you can't just, like, request a jersey and number and they sew it in for you. Like, yeah. they got the jersey. And the, uh, some people cared so much, and I was like, I don't care. As long as it's my size, I'll just take whatever's left. Nice. Take and, one for the team. Yeah, I mean, just genuinely didn't care. I was like, I'll just take it every class. So I changed, I changed uh, numbers every year, and that was it. So I, I it's very on brand. I really, <laughs> yeah, seriously, I, I just don't care about numbers. Yeah, this isn't a fake bit or anything. This has been since high school for you. So. Yeah, that's true. I guess you know, I've never really thought about it. It is kind of ridiculous that I change numbers every year. There should be a pro player. Like an the, NBA player. It changes the numbers every year? Yeah, you can totally do it, obviously. Of course. Why yeah. couldn't you? Like, it should be a bit. What yeah. number is he going to wear this year? Right. Just like some... You know, I wonder if you were a good player that did that, don't they... Am I wrong, or do they make you, like, buy back the jerseys or something? Oh, I don't I think know. that might have happened, because, uh, like, two years ago, the Wizards had a player, a player named Sheldon McClellan who changed his name to Sheldon Mack because everyone called him Mack. So he just dropped his last name. Like, it was a kind of a – there was some sentimental stuff. Like, you know, it was the, his father's name and his father wasn't around and stuff like that. But I think he said he had to, like, pay the league some money. Not that anyone had bought, like, Sheldon Mack jerseys, but, like, for, like, his jerseys. Like, they had to – because it was it – was, there was, like, some sort of, like, financial punishment for changing your name. That was an amazing subtle dig at Sheldon Mack. Not that anyone had bought Sheldon Mack. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he was an undrafted rookie, so. Yeah. Cool guy. I like Sheldon Mack. You could have bought a Sheldon Mack jersey, confusing it for a Sheldon Mack jersey. Absolutely. And Sheldon Mack played for the Wizards. Yeah, the year before that? Uh, it was a couple of years before that. They yeah. had him as, like, a rookie and gave up on him way too early, and he became, like, the backup point guard that they always wanted behind John Wall, ironically. Yes. Which, you know, uh, letting players go from the Wizards and they become better uh, is a theme that persists even today, huh? Yes, it is. Yeah, I talked about that with Stan on, on the last podcast. Oh, we, yeah. talked, <laughs> we talked about Otto a lot. Uh Let's just talk crunch time here for a wow, bit. Wow, so very surprised that Ben Standy wanted to talk about auto port. I know, shocking, right? Uh, I want to talk Beal for a little bit. Okay. Uh, he hasn't played great lately, which is less of a knock on Beal as it is just kind of a testament to how good he's been this year because he put up 36, 9, and 10 in their previous game, and he put up 27, 9, and 9 tonight <laughs> on both efficient, legitimately efficient shooting nights both times and pretty good defense. And so it's really just a testament to how good he's been. 
the whole season. In the Minnesota game, his overall line was phenomenal, uh, and his finish was great. But I felt like he was – he's normally so steady. I felt like he was a little inconsistent throughout that game, and then he got super hot to close. Uh, Charlotte was probably his worst game of the entire season when he shot 4 of 21. Tonight, he was for sure good, and he was – but he was a little shaky for the first three and a fraction quarters. We get to the fourth, and the dude just gets – on one, like he, he had 13 in the fourth quarter, but he was facilitating good looks. He could have had more assists. Trevor Ariza missed a couple open looks on on really good kickouts from him. He's facilitating out of pick and roll. He's pushing on the break. He's dunking on De'Aaron Fox. Like he just he hit a new gear in that fourth quarter. Um, I think the evolution of Bradley Beal is really interesting. Where like he has gears now. He kind of used to be this kind of consistent, steady guy, which is obviously great. But it's interesting to see him kind of have gears now, you know? Yeah, that's what made the Charlotte game um, so surprising. He had a chance, obviously, to, to win the game at the end and miss the shot. Um, but it was very, it's very rare these days to see him be cold throughout an entire game. He usually figures it out at some point. There was a game earlier this year against the Magic where he did it. I think it was in January, there was a game uh, in London uh, against New York where for three, sometimes three and a half quarters, he'll just be a terrible shooter. And then all of a sudden, he'll just find another gear, like you said, and just take over. And it's like the first three quarters never happened. And tonight, I wouldn't say was necessarily one of those nights, but if you look at his line after three quarters, he was five of 13. Um, that's, of course, nothing spectacular and had 14 points. He ended up with 27 points, you mentioned 13 in the fourth, and he went four of seven in that fourth quarter. And it, it was just like a, a switch was flipped. Like as soon as he got hot, as soon as he came into the game in the fourth quarter, he knocked down a three, he had the dunk, and then he had uh, another three. And it was like eight points in like three minutes or something like that. And it just completely changed the tenor of the game. It was like when the Wizards seemed to be losing some momentum. So I think... The reason why he's able to do this is because he's become such a more diverse scorer than he was in the past. He's always been able to hit outside shots. He's been a, a good mid-range shooter off screens for a long time, but he can get past guys off the dribble and he can finish at the rim better than we've ever seen, and it's really just kind of opened up the whole court for him because he's a complete scorer now. Yeah, you know, he said after the game, which I thought was interesting, that he made a conscious decision. He feels like he has to start dunking more. And he's been dunking more. Mm-hmm. Like, he has. He had a dunk on Fox that I He had that dunk on Salam Mejri in the Dallas game. Who who else did he have a big dunk against? Where was it? In Charlotte. First game after the All-Star break. He had a big one where he went flying through the lane. Like, he's had a couple of dunks for after the game. He said it was his best dunk since high school. And mm-hmm. each one's a little bit better. This time he didn't say that. But he said he's trying to dunk more. He's got a career high in dunks now. He's got like 50 or 51 dunks or something like that on mm-hmm. the season, which is a career high for him. Uh, and, like, he's just a little bit more ferocious finishing around the rim. And he's he's got that kind of re- re- up and under, like, in the air, up and under adjustment down to go into reverse layups. He's a little more skilled in terms of, like, finishing there. He's just a lot better around the rim than he was. And, like, you were covering the team a few years ago. I wasn't. But, you know, they're a relevant team. And I was still covering the NBA and watching them a lot. And, like, he's he's just a much better finisher now than he was in, like, 2015. 
I think there was a mental block that he had to get past because of the injuries. Um, you know, he's a lot more physical uh, finishing around the rim because he doesn't really have that in the back of his mind that, oh, if I take a hard foul, I'm going to get injured because his body's matured, he's gotten stronger, he's just become more durable. And I think he's he's become the player that I think he was for most of his AAU days and probably in college. He wasn't always an injury-prone guy. He's always kind of prided himself as being a football player who's on the basketball court because literally all of his brothers played college football and he grew up, you know, battling them in the driveway and stuff like that. So he's used to finishing through contact, and I think this is kind of the player that he feels like he naturally is. And I honestly think he has the potential, if he's, if he's not already there, to be one of the better finishers at his size in the NBA. Obviously, there's some amazing finishers in the NBA, but... He's pretty consistent when he gets there. He's not going to dunk on everyone. It's not that often that he puts someone on a poster. You know, it's not like Russell Westbrook, who you covered for a long time. But he's getting to the point where he can do that. And I think he's getting to the point where he is just in complete control and, and is patient as he goes up in the air and can finish in a variety of ways, whether it's with, you know, uh, an adjustment midair or with a, a powerful dunk like we saw tonight. You know, it's crazy about Beal. I'm watching this game, and I'm watching the energetic, exciting young kings who have a really nice future. De'Aaron Fox is, like, 20. He's going to be a killer. Mm-hmm. Like, he's going to be a perennial he's all-star. He's going to be an all-star, for sure. He's going to be a many-time all-star, probably. Yeah. I mean, if even in the West, like, he's 20, man, and he's this good. He's really freaking good uh, already. Like, he's mm-hmm. not going to be good. He is really good. And he's going to get way better. He's like five or six years from his prime. And so, you know, I'm watching them. They got some good young pieces. Harry Giles is really talented. If he stays healthy, he's good. And Buddy Heald is really nice. And they got good young, you know, Bogdanovich is, 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 a, is a really nice piece. And, like, they got these talented young guys in their early mid-20s. And, and, and you talk about Buddy Heald as part of that group. And Buddy Heald is having a great year. I mean, he's averaging, like, 21 a game. And he's shooting ridiculous numbers from three on an insane volume. Like, like 43% or something. I think it might be higher. He's on. He's had one of the best starts in NBA history for three-point shooting. Like It's like a Clay Thompson-like start to his career. Yeah, I mean, look, everyone clowned the Kings for, for uh, Vivek Ranadive saying that he saw him as like a Curry type when they traded for him. And look, he's obviously not Curry. But like, Buddy Heald is without a doubt one of the tier one three-point shooters in the NBA. Yeah, because he's awesome. it's not, you know, I'm not trying to take a shot at Otto Porter here, but it's not like Otto Porter where he's shooting 44%, but he's making like 1.83s per game. Right. Like this guy's shooting at a high percentage and volume. Shooting twice as many threes as Otto did. Yeah. And, I mean, has been doing it for a few years now. Like this year is his breakout year where he's scoring at a high rate, but he has a chance to be the, one of the best three-point shooters of the next generation. Yeah, like he's that good. Well, so you say of the next generation, which a lot of people talk about, but he healed because he's a third-year player. Yeah. And so he's part of this young core, you know, with Fox and and, and Giles. He's still not old, by the way. I know what you're You know, he's not old. He's not old. He's not old, for sure. But it's just crazy for perspective. He's older than Bradley Beal. Like we talk about him as one of the next great shooters of the, of the uh, one of the great shooters of the next generation, and Bradley Beal is younger than him, and he's already made two All Star teams. Mm-hmm. He's already averaging twenty six, six and six. Like 
Bradley Beal probably isn't at his prime either. He might be, or I should say, he's probably not at his peak. He isn't his prime. Mm. But he's probably not at his peak. Like, Bradley Beal's best year might be three years away. If he's, uh, you know, as long as he's he's healthy, you know, I think uh, whenever something like that is said, and it's absolutely true, like the prime of an NBA player should be like 27, 28, and he's not there yet. The fact that John Walls have had this part of his career robbed by injuries is just yeah, so unfortunate. I like, I, it, it always makes me think whenever you're talking about the prime of an NBA player is that I think it was Hoops Hype before the season did like a study of the average age of an all-NBA player. And it was like 27.7 years old or something like that. So it's basically like 27, 28. John Wall had age 27 season. Uh, he missed half of it. This year's his age 28 season, and next year's his age 29 season. So, like, his prime, peak prime is being ravaged by injuries. So, hopefully, Bradley Beal, that doesn't happen to him. Obviously, what's happened to John is very unfortunate. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. He's 25, and theoretically, he's still probably a few years away from his absolute peak. So, if he doesn't get All-NBA this season, and I know we've talked about that, it's going to happen at some point if he follows his tra- trajectory because he's becoming one of the most well-rounded, best two-way guards in the NBA. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, anything else you find intriguing from this? You know, Jabari uh, Parker still turned the ball over. Yeah, <laughs> man, uh, some, some of his turnovers. <laughs> some of his turnovers are so ill-advised. I know it's like amazing. Like they're and look, like he played. Pretty okay against a played 24 minutes and he had 18 points and four assists and four boards and he was efficient seven for 13 from the field and 18 points on 13 shots in 24 minutes off the bench. He was one of the best players in this game. He was good, but like so we were talking about this in the middle of the game. Like there's no reason to look at a turnover and think because a turnover is ugly that it's more detrimental. It might be more unprovoked. And his are certainly more unprovoked. Uh, and he still leads the NBA in turnover ratio for any rotation player since coming over to the Wizards, which is not a great stat. So it's not like these are just happening rarely, and when they happen, they're bad. But, like, an ugly turnover is just as bad as a turnover that's, you know, what we would deem to be excusable. And it's, like, at the same time, it is just crazy watching his turnovers like they are some of them are just wild it's almost like he thinks he's capable of things that he isn't when it comes to ball handling like he thinks he can pull off a move that he can't sometimes it's in the open court and he'll just lose the ball out of bounds and there's no one like I'm watching the screen because I'm you know it's a road game and I'm not there and there's just there's no one on screen like there's no one playing defense on him and he'll just lose the ball that's happened like three times this year he's only played here 13 games now so he has some of the the most unforced turnovers, I think, of anyone in the league. But when he has that handle tight and he's flying up and down the court, I mean, it could be really effective. Uh, you know, Scott Brooks has talked about it, him as a point forward and how much better of a passer he is than, than Scott Brooks thought he was. And I think he surprised all of us with his ability to distribute. But I think he's got to take it down a notch some of these plays because, as we saw in the Charlotte game, some of those turnovers can be – can be come at really bad times and be very costly. So here's why I think it keeps happening. It's not because he makes these moves and he can't do them. It's because he makes the moves and he does them like 50% of the time. 
So it's happening just enough. Like, because sometimes he'll pull it off, and you'll be like, that was a great move. Yeah. And he does it just enough to incentivize him to keep doing it. <laughs> and if he never did it, he'd be like, well, I guess i got to stop doing this. Right. But every once in a while, he'll pull it off and be like, I can do this. And so he keeps doing it. But then he also keeps turning it over and keeps doing those like same moves. Like those long dribbles that he does when he's at the three-point line. He does that long dribble. He goes and he just grabs it and he goes two steps to the rim and goes. Mm-hmm. There's one dribble to the rim from the three-point line. It's like when he pulls that off, he's so athletic doing it, and it looks cool as hell. He might be the quickest guy to the rim on the Wizards. Like when he's he pulls so, that yeah, move off. He's yeah. explosive. And like – but like tonight he turned it over doing that. He just lost the damn ball. Nobody took it from him. He just lost it. Mm-hmm. And then he turned it over on the next possession. The turnovers are just they're, – they're amazing. But, like, he's been – I would say he's been better than the Wizards could have hoped he could be. He's been good. For sure. Uh, let's wrap up. Plug your, uh, plug your stuff before we go. I got some – I'm sure somebody here listening is a, is a national fan. Yeah. Can I plug a podcast on your podcast? Sure. Okay. So I actually have a podcast now. It's called The Racing Presidents, and it's about the Nationals. So it doesn't compete with uh, Fred's – Podcast. Although we have talked baseball now on two straight That's podcasts true. that I've been on, so maybe technically it is a competing show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the Racing Presidents. Uh, subscribe to that and subscribe to Wizards After Dark while you're at it. Damn straight, subscribe to Wizards After Dark and uh, give us five stars too, and leave a review. We'll be back on Wednesday. I think I have a guest for that. Pretty sure I locked down a guest for that. I'm trying to remember. I don't know. It's late this season. My brain's fried. I'm supposed to have a guest for Wednesday. They play the magic. I'll be back. I'll be podcasting whether I have a guest or not. And uh, I'll talk to you guys then.